Hello and welcome to another episode in the summer edition of Ithaca Now. A very happy 4th of July to everyone. I hope it's a restful and joyful holiday for you. On Ithaca Now today, we'll be playing the third episode in WICB News' summer series, Asian in Ithaca, Stories of Race, Culture and Identity. This series focuses on Asian American and Pacific Islander stories in and around Ithaca. I'm your host and WICB News Director, Himadri Said. In tonight's episode, WICB News correspondents Vedanta Khauri and Jordan Broking speak to two members of the Ithaca community who were forced to flee from their home countries due to a fear of persecution and were then able to find a home in Ithaca because of the support they received from the Ithaca City of Asylum. The first is Sonali Samar Singha, a journalist, lawyer and activist from Sri Lanka, followed by Raza Rumi, director of Ithaca College's Park Centre for Independent Media and a policy analyst, journalist and author. In the summer of 2020, we interviewed the Ithaca community about Black Lives Matter as people across the globe called for solidarity and demanded police accountability a movement that continues to this day. These interviews were a part of ICTV's summer interview series, which can be found on ICTV News' Facebook page. This summer, we decided to talk to members of the Asian American Pacific Islander community who have been subjected to heightened discrimination and hate crimes during the COVID-19 pandemic. While the pandemic led to a surge in hate crimes against the Asian community, this culture of scapegoating, oppression, and marginalization has been decades and generations in the making. Through this series, we hope to explore the many diverse voices of this community within the Ithaca area. I'm Jordan Brokang, and in today's episode, Vedant Akari and I speak to two local Asian journalists who share their harrowing stories of having to flee their home countries due to vitriol and persecution, and how the Ithaca City of Asylum helped them through their challenging ordeals. The Ithaca City of Asylum, known otherwise as the ICOA, is a nonprofit organization that provides refuge to writers and artists under threat. The organization was formed in 2001 and works in partnership with Cornell University and Wells College. Ithaca College has since ended its partnership recently. The ICOA has hosted seven residents so far and helps them with daily expenses, such as housing, transportation, the performance and publication costs of their new works. Up first, I spoke to Sunali Samra Singha, a journalist, lawyer, and activist from Sri Lanka. Thank you, Jordan, for ha- having me. I'm happy to be here. And a blessed 4th of July to all. Uh, my name is Sunali Samra Singha, and I'm a lawyer, journalist, and editor. Um, during the course of my career, I have also served as a diplomat in Australia, and most recently as a legal advisor and communications expert at the Sri Lanka Permanent Mission to the United Nations in New York. In Sri Lanka, for over a decade, I was a political columnist and investigative journalist for a leading Sunday national newspaper, of which my husband was the editor-in-chief. I also founded a weekly national newspaper, of which I was the editor-in-chief. My work included investigating government corruption and writing on the civil war uh, with a focus on human rights. So Nelly left Sri Lanka and came to the U.S. in 2009 before arriving in Ithaca in 2012. By the time she left Sri Lanka, 
Democracy was in shambles, and journalists were seen by the government as enemies. Fear had gripped the country. We were effectively under a police state. The government had taken media suppression to the level of a martial art. They were using white vans, which had become a symbol of untold dread, to disappear journalists and activists. Democratic institutions had metastasized into willing tools for government corruption and graft. There was really a breakdown of the rule of law. The country was also getting increasingly militarized, and the government was also fighting a deadly terrorist group. The media was seen as public enemy number one. The government painted us as traitors to the nation for speaking truth to power. A draconian piece of legislation, the Prevention of Terrorism Act, was being used to suppress the media and control the message. It is in this backdrop that on January 8, 2009, my editor husband was assassinated. Uh, he was surrounded by assassins on motorcycles as he traveled to work, and he was bludgeoned to death. Almost immediately, um, I received death threats and uh, fearful for my life. Two weeks later, Sonali fled by some diplomatic assistance from some European countries. A few months afterwards, she came to the U.S. and spent a year at Harvard University with a fellowship and later became an international journalist in residence at the City University of New York. After this is when the Ithaca City of Asylum reached out to her in 2012. Writers are actually recommended to the ICOA by the International City of Refuge Network, uh, that's ICORN, based in Norway. They thoroughly vet each journalist who, who has, you know, submitted an application to them. And then they send a limited amount of information to the cities, the cities of asylum. They have a network of cities of asylum. Obviously, ICON does not immediately release much information at the start in consideration for the safety of the journalist or writer. When ICOA, obviously, their board had decided to offer me a residency, um, I actually received um, a Facebook message. And I had not seen it uh, because I didn't check Facebook uh, at that time. This was 2012. And um, it had gone to my spam folder. And for some reason, I looked at my spam folder and I saw ICOA there and I looked at it again and it was an offer for this residency. But I think they got to know of me because um, of ICON, the International City of Refuge Network, which they are part of. The Ithaca City of Asylum is part of an international network of asylum organizations. The ICOA supports persecuted writers and journalists, and its members consist of those in the field of writing, academics, and journalism. In my experience, for me, ICOA, because of who runs it, is imbued with that sense of global responsibility and community and a deep understanding of international politics. These are people with an expanded worldview, people who embrace new cultures and access and rather than fearing the other, they are willing to learn from those who have different experiences. And that was my experience of the Ithaca community at large as well. So, so that was very important. That is, that to me, one of the most 
important issue of why I felt so welcome and, and, and so safe. And for me, being the fifth uh, writer in residence of the ICOA was important for another reason. I had lost my husband after only a couple of months of marriage, and I had lost everything else. My home, familiar faces, family. I lost my right to work in the profession I choose, journalism. So I'd lost not only my self-worth, but my livelihood. There was a kind of panic in not seeing familiar faces or foods or smells. There's a stress of the unknown, a sense of being abandoned by your own country and your people. Therefore, getting the ICOA residency, uh, which included a two-year paid teaching assignment at Ithaca College, was a lifesaver. It helped restore uh, some of that dignity and self-worth because often immigrants and refugees are reduced to mere labels. They're profiled. I must say we are profiled and boxed into places they even don't recognize or understand. The process itself is often reductionist in nature. So while it helps you to safety and a new life, it can oftentimes be disenfranchising in some ways, in that everything you were professionally and personally, your rich experiences, your existence prior to this one big incident, all of that is discredited. And you're reduced to just these labels of refugee or immigrant. So I was dealing with a lot of trauma from the violence of what happened to my husband, the the fear and the fear of these death threats, and also having to flee so abruptly and start again from scratch in a few short months. ICOA provided refuge for me in more ways than one. Housing assistance, yes. A two-year paid a, a job, yes. But most importantly, professional, personal, and emotional support. It was, a, it was a really supportive group of people. In fact, at this time, I want to say I, I, I heard, and I was sorry to learn that Ithaca College had recently discontinued this program and its partnership with ICOA. That must be a great blow to the program itself, and I'm sorry to learn that that has happened. Do you feel that the Ithaca community has accepted you and welcomed you? Absolutely. The, I have to say the Ithaca community was just wonderful, so welcoming. What I felt was that even though it was a college town, it didn't feel pompous or arrogant. And to be surrounded by feminists, academics, artists, writers, authors, um, but just such down-to-earth people nonetheless. There was just such a richness there. And I felt most people, those I met anyway, were living a life of mindfulness, really. It was an amazing thing, the kind of reception you would get at events or talks or speeches I delivered. I have to say, I also love the restaurants and the bakeries and taking my dog for long walks in the beautiful parks and I really, the surroundings, I think, also lent itself to a more wholesome community experience. Yes, I loved it. I loved the people. It was my green place. I always say that. 
while Ithaca has embraced her, Sonali still goes back to her roots and writes stories about what is happening in Sri Lanka. What drives her to do this is how the country itself has changed in recent years, even as she works to overcome the vitriol that she faced and continues to face as a journalist. In 2015, um, I felt that there had been a sea change in Sri Lanka. The people themselves wanted something new, something different. They, they rose up and said, you know, we don't want to take this anymore. And, and they actually rebelled against the authoritarian regime. Unfortunately, this didn't last for long. Uh, by 2019, things had changed again and politics had changed again. But I saw in 2015 that glimmer of hope. And I think the people of Sri Lanka will uh, somehow rise up again and be, be less willing to, to accept this kind of, um, uh, this kind of demo- total loss of dem- democratic norms. So I feel that if you, if you don't keep Sri Lanka in um, in the eyes of the world, or uh, you know, visible in the world, um, that is the most dangerous thing you can do, because then you can the the country can slip away into oblivion, um, and that drives me, because you know the the people of Sri Lanka will I know they will stand up again and fight again, and I will do so with them. The vitriol continues in in some way all the time. I don't think that'll ever go go away. But um, uh, you you overcome it by, I think, looking forward and understanding that um, some of it is not personal. A lot of it is politically motivated. Uh, there is some of it which is personal, but you have to, you have to learn to ignore that and to um, shake it off, you know. Um, and it took a while for me because I, d- I did take a lot of things personally and uh, uh, especially what goes on in the internet, it's much worse now. Um, but, you know, even at that time, the, the kind of anger, the, the personal anger, especially when you're a woman, they, they sort of assassinate your character. They, assassin- they, they do whatever it takes to make you feel so dejected with who you are and so hopeless that, that they think that you will curl up in a ball and just go hide somewhere and not speak again. But you learn, um, you learn to overcome that by being hopeful and looking at beautiful things and, and looking at others and how they react to this kind of vitriol. Uh, um, I saw that happening a lot in in America with uh, with certain uh, with certain politicians or with certain people who who had to undergo that kind of um, that kind of character assassination and how they dealt with it and I was inspired by that too. How do you perceive the Western coverage of the issues that are happening in Sri Lanka? There is not a lot of it. Um, we, I, I see the coverage of uh, something more popular like, um, like a, a Miss, uh, Mrs. World pageant. 
which is going to happen in Sri Lanka. I see more of that than what is really happening, which is that there, for instance, we just had a, a ship that, you know, that there's a disaster, a environmental disaster happening right now in Sri Lanka, um, where a ship, a huge ship with chemicals caught fire, and there's hardly any coverage of that. So there's hardly any coverage of what's going on politically. Um, and I think that's the nature of the news because everything is about popular culture and just the Kardashianing of, of news. So I, I would say that there's not a lot of it. Um, when there is something um, on Sri Lanka, I, I feel that it has been covered uh, quite well. The New York Times has covered it quite well at times. But but then, you know, Sri Lanka is always goes uh, is under the radar in the West because not as important a country. It's a small country, though it's a geographically very very important country even for the U.S. because of China and India and where it's positioned geographically. So there really should be more more news on it and more focus on it. So Nelly also gave advice to those listening who may know of someone who is going through a similar situation to what she faced in Sri Lanka. My mind goes back to two or three individuals who did not leave the country immediately. They knew that there were threats to their lives. They're in prison now. And they are, they are doing very badly. And so the first thing I would say in a, in a situation like this is, um, and, and I'm talking about extremes, like because you're you're asking for those who who had experience like like I did. So if it's an extreme and you think your life is in danger or your family is in danger, you have to remove yourself from that situation. And I know it's hard. I know there is um, that that we are the lucky ones. Uh, and that a lot of people cannot remove themselves from these situations and they're just doing the good work. But try to remove yourself even even within your own country to be careful about not leaving traces of where you are, you know. You, you, you have to do that for a while. You have to. Uh, because you cannot continue the good work if you are dead. So it is better to, you know, be be very careful about continuing the work and to do that you have to be alive that, that that's one piece of advice i can give you to just remove yourself from that situation for a little time it is so important to to look after to look after yourself so that you can continue the work Earlier this weekend, I spoke to one of ICOA's past residents, Ithaca College professor and director of Park Center for Independent Media, Raza Rumi. In March 2014, he survived an assassination attempt in Pakistan. That was uh, obviously linked to my journalistic work and what I wrote and what I spoke on television. I was a broadcaster as well uh, and an editor and a, and a columnist. So after facing that attack, it was pretty brutal because 
my car was, uh, uh, you know, fired at from two different angles and my driver who was driving the car died in that attack. So, you know, so it was pretty traumatic as well. And uh, I was concerned about myself, my family, and more importantly, anyone who would be with me uh, in that particular situation. According to Professor Rumi, he was and still is an outspoken critic against religious extremism. He believes that's what inspired his assassination attempt in Pakistan. I was condemning it uh, every day on television and also holding uh, uh, different authorities to account who were allowing that to happen. And that included the powerful quarters within the government and uh, the security agencies and the law enforcement agencies. So I was pretty vocal about that. I mean, in those days, everybody was scared about, you know, let's not talk about this or that. And ultimately, the uh, the the attack, as later police found out, was organized by one of the uh, militant groups uh, affiliated with the Taliban and uh, adherent, uh, you know, those who share Al-Qaeda's worldview. So largely it was that, but, you know, also the second uh, part was that I'm also a big advocate for uh, peace with India, uh, which is, as you know, a mm -hmm. hostile, quote-unquote, neighbor. <laughs> and uh, we've had, uh, the, the two countries have a history of wars and conflict and propaganda and national assertions. So I've always um, spoken about against that. I've written a lot about it. I've done a book on Delhi as a Pakistani. So that was obviously not well liked because you, whenever you challenge the nationalist boundaries or nationalist uh, identities, you know, uh, you are labeled as a traitor or as disloyal to your uh, country. So I guess uh, I've, it was already happening since 2012, 2013. You know, I used to get a lot of threats on social media, you know, lots of hate tweets, hate messages, letters, anonymous letters, you know. I always thought, you know, that's part of the deal. So, but I wasn't sure they'll take a violent turn. Despite the assassination attempt, Professor Rumi still pushes himself to discuss these topics in his works. I'm not going to give up just because, uh, you know, that traumatic incident happened. Of course, it took a toll on my personal life, on my where I am. You know, everything changed. Being uh, in Ithaca is a, is a kind of, uh, I felt it was a safe space for me to be at. And so that was the uh, major advantage of uh, being here. Despite Ithaca being a safe space, the same cannot be said about the Twitter sphere, where Professor Rumi continues to receive threats, though at a lesser volume than what he received in Pakistan. Less so now, because I mean, I guess I'm kind of um, not fully engaged there. I am very much engaged back home. Uh, I still write for publications. I was editing a newspaper in Pakistan. You know, I didn't stop my work. So being in Ithaca, uh, being with ICOA enabled me to uh, continue with my editing work for the Friday Times, which is a weekly publication. And then I was editing a newspaper, the Daily Times. So yes, so I use, I, I still get those uh, those threats and I still get those uh, hate messages about me being not a good Muslim or not a good uh, or not loyal patriot to the country and 
how I should be fixed or eliminated or killed or whatever. After the assassination attempt, Professor Rumi moved to America because some of his family members resided here. I moved here and I was in D.C. Uh, first, uh, where I worked with the think tank, the USIP, for uh, nearly uh, eight months uh, as a uh, resident uh, country expert. And uh, I was there and then I... I did a short stint with New America Foundation. Um, and uh, I've also was at uh, new uh, at uh, the National Endowment for Democracy, which is an organization in DC, uh, a kind of a think tank and a nonprofit. So I was with them when during that time, I was waiting for my, so I was on a J1 visa. My visa had to convert into a work visa kind of thing. So was wait, while I was waiting, I got this offer from Ithaca Society for Asylum, uh, which, as you know, hosts writers from uh, different parts of the world uh, earlier every two years. And I, I got an offer and they said, would you like uh, to move to Ithaca? Professor Rumi moved to Ithaca in summer 2015 to check out the area. He loved the area and its residents, but that wasn't the only drawing factor. I liked it very much and the fact that I uh, that there was a possibility of employment at Ithaca College and teaching. So that really attracted me. And uh, so that's how I arrived uh, in Ithaca. I ended up not applying for asylum, not pursuing the application, but I applied as a, what you call, uh, for an employment-based immigration, which is which gives you an immigrant uh, visa. Uh, uh, and a green card. So it is called, uh, uh, you know, so my status was that of alien, was that of an alien of extraordinary ability. <laughs> so yeah, I know it sounds, <laughs> sounds awful and cheesy, but anyway, I'm an alien, I'm a resident alien now. ICOA was obviously my home since 2015. I've been here. Uh, I completed my stint with ICOA, and then I was teaching in the journalism department at IC. Uh, I also started teaching at Cornell's Institute for Public Affairs, uh, where I still am affiliated with. And in 2018, I applied for this job at the Park Center for Independent Media and got that. And now I'm a, I'm a permanent m- member of Ithaca community and IC. How do you think the Western media is portraying these very same issues that you've been talking about for years now. The Park Center for Independent Media is really an amazing space because, I mean, you know, it uh, allowed me to, I mean, it allows me and uh, engaging with the center even before I applied for the job, uh, opened a whole world of uh, independent or alternative media in the U.S., which is critical of the government, critical of the establishment, which takes very bold positions, adversarial positions. So in a way, what I was doing earlier, <laughs> I'm doing now here in the U.S. context, right? And also training uh, young journalists uh, in our uh, department and, in, and through my classroom work uh, to be adversarial uh, independent journalists. So, uh, so in a way, that has really been uh, both uh, a continuation of my work in a different setting but also has uh, taught me a lot and opened um, me because, you know, the U.S. media, the mainstream media is so dominant. It's so huge. You know, whenever you think of U.S. media, you think of CNN or New York Times or Washington Post, you know, 
rarely you think of democracy now or ProPublica or Young Turks or The Intercept, right? How do you feel like the mainstream media is covering the recent surge in violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders during this pandemic? Mm. I think, uh, um, well, I mean, the good thing about the community is that it's highly, I mean, it's a very progressive town and it's really, you know, very vocal about issues about, you know, as you know, last year and the years before Black Lives Matter uh, and other uh, issues, you know, Ithaca has, uh, community has been really, really vocal and engaged with national politics. So about Asian Americans, they're also uh, pretty much uh, concerned. And, uh, you know, there have been demonstrations. I've been to one or two myself. Uh, but we mustn't forget that Ithaca, uh, despite all its progressive credentials, is an overwhelmingly white town. And, uh, you know, so there is a kind of a white liberal concentration, which is good, which I welcome and I feel comfortable, but it still does not represent what what nationally or what, what the U.S. is undergoing. U.S. is undergoing three things, a demographic shift, which is putting people of color in greater numbers everywhere in public life in in, in uh, you know, the public arena. So in Ithaca, you don't get a, get that sense. I think the second thing, of course, is the fact that, um, you know, it is a university town or college town, as they say. And so like other university or college towns, it is pretty insular. So it's a kind of a bubble that looks <laughs> in in itself is is very engaged and concerned. But at the end of the day, end of the day it is kind of delinked from uh, from what is going around. So even in even when you drive out of Ithaca and you enter Trump country, right? So you see all these signs of Trump uh, Trump flags, Confederate Confederate flags, you know, and the same kind of racism that pervades America, which is not a fault of Ithaca or Ithacans or Ithaca community per se. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously their response to what is going on nationally has to be imagined in a different way. I think the third uh, issue I would like to point out here is the fact that, uh, you know, I recently was on a panel uh, organized by the Human Rights uh, by the Human Rights Office of Tompkins County. And I was quite surprised to know that while the Black population is 4 to 5% of Ithaca, or less than that, people who end up in prison or in police custody is almost half are Blacks. So you can see the disparity is so huge, despite the fact that it's a great place and it's all progressive. It means that even in a, in a progressive town like Ithaca, uh, things to do with police uh, biases towards people of color, especially blacks, and the odd criminal justice system, uh, which are national issues, have not been addressed in a coherent manner. And, you know, the police reform is a national agenda now for so long. For those who want to educate themselves on these matters in a general setting, Professor Rumi recommends parkindymedia.org. That's indie with a Y. We have a list of uh, public independent uh, outlets in the U.S. on virtually every uh, theme, you know, whether it's national politics, uh, ethnic media, 
gender, environment, climate change, uh, corporations. You'll find lots and lots of links and outlets there. So I think that's a good starting place. But you know, but democracy now, democracynow.org is is uh, I think a great place to begin with. We also issue a weekly newsletter from the Park Center for Independent Media. So those who are interested can subscribe that that newsletter. And you will get all the alternative media news about the week and about the world and about America in your uh, inbox. And that will give you a different perspective. And I think uh, in addition, there are many good in-depth investigative uh, works now which have come out in recent years about the American prison system, about the opioid crisis, about dark money, about corporate malfeasance which I suggest that, you know, should be more widely read and introduced in the syllabi of different, uh, you know, classes at Ithaca College, but also at the community level. And if someone who is listening to this knows somebody who is facing a very similar situation to what you face in Pakistan, is there any advice you have for these people? I'm not a great example for (laughs) giving advice considering I was pretty reckless myself. Uh, But I think uh, certainly there's no stories worth your life. Your security and your safety comes first always, because if you are, you can only report, you can only write, you can only uh, say the right things once you are alive. If you're dead, you're dead. So, so that's my first uh, piece of advice that you know keeping your your security and safety is very important uh, second thing i i think which is important is to ensure that um, you know you these days a lot of uh, uh, you know a uh, lot of online and digital spaces are insecure so keeping your emails under strict two factor verification uh, and other tools uh, that uh, as a journalist uh, um, uh, which give you protection must be uh, followed. Uh, you know whether it's your emails, your social media accounts, your you know your other online activity. You need to watch that out because there's so much surveillance and there's so much of um, data mining that takes place about individuals these days. It's 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 you know uh, if I really had uh, had some extra time, I could just. Uh, Check Vedant. What did you do today? What was your online history? I mean, all I have to do is a bit of a uh, some uh, hacking <laughs> skill, and I can see what you ate, what what sites you checked, what what shopping uh, ideas you had, whom did you write to, when did you leave your home, where did you exactly go? Because I mean, you know, your 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 smartphone is like recording everything that you're doing. So so I guess that is that that is a must. That is perhaps to begin with, that's a major starting point. And so is there anything else you'd like to mention about ICOA or anything else that we talked about? The ICOA uh, is an amazing organization. And uh, uh, frankly speaking, I I think there are very few uh, organizations like uh, that, even, even across the world. But the problem is that, as you know, that ICOA's funds have been cut down in the recent um, austerity measures by Ithaca College, so which is a bit of a shame. So, we, you know, we need to talk about that and we need to remind uh, that how important it is to have organizations like ICOA survive 
and do well because we must uh you know have this space uh, available for writers and journalists and artists who may be feeling the heat in their home countries or in other contexts and they need to continue their, their good work because this is how human history has been you know uh that we uh, we need to uh, protect those who deserve protection that's all for tonight's edition of ethica now and asian in ethica You can find all of the episodes for Asian and Ethica, stories of race, culture and identity and other stories on wicb.org. The full list of resources for AAPI action and education will also be available on our website. That's wicb.org. All of the music from Ethica Now's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundeff of Louisville, Kentucky. Follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ethica Now to hear full shows anywhere, anytime. Also subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This series is made possible by producers Vedanta Kauri, Emily Hung, and myself, correspondents Jordan Broking and Clayton Davis, and editor Jay Bradley. Special thanks to manager of television and radio operations Jeremy Menard, WICB station manager Connor Hibbard and programming director Lou Barron for their support and assistance. We'll be back with another episode next Sunday at 7 p.m. I'm Madhuri Seed and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'll see you next week.